Hello, and welcome to Episode 8 of Design EDU Today, the podcast series discussing topics concerning the state of interactive design education at institutions of higher learning. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Today, we have a twofer. Our guests are from Substantial, a collection of passionate product creators based in Seattle and San Francisco. Driven by the challenge of solving problems, helping clients crystallize their vision, and delivering quality experiences that make people happy. Zachary Smith is the Vice President of Technology at Substantial. Zachary is a technology, design thinking, and innovation leader with more than 19 years of product development and client services experience, serving a wide range of industries and organizations, including startups, Wall Street banks, automotive manufacturers, enterprise software platform providers, creative studios, and consulting agencies. As a partner with Social Venture Partners, a Seattle-based philanthropic organization, Zachary serves on the Portfolio Grant Committee and is dedicated to helping to strengthen nonprofit organizations committed to the mission of improving K-12 education and making the Puget Sound region a place where substantial um, sustainable communities thrive. Ryan Harrison is the Vice President of Design for Substantial. Ryan is a forward-thinking product designer and strategist shaping how people interact with the world through digital products. After spending his early adulthood representing the United States in short track speed skating, yes, everybody, that's right, uh, Ryan entered his career developing both physical and digital products for high-tech defense applications. Quickly gravitating to the power of invention, um, Ryan transitioned to client services focusing on interaction design blending the philosophies of design thinking with agile software development to create experiences that beautifully blend form and function. Ryan's experience and approach allowed him to successfully adapt to industry and user needs and has helped startups and enterprises like Google, News Corp, American Express, Getty Images, 3M, Optum Health, ReSound, and Distiller successfully launch and scale diverse products touching millions of users worldwide. Welcome, Zachary and Ryan. Thanks, Gary. Great to be here. It is great to be here. We really appreciate the opportunity. Yep, I, and I greatly appreciate it. And actually, before we get started, um, I want to let the listeners know that just over a year ago, when I was awarded the AIGA Design Educators Community Faculty Research Grant, I also happened to be at AIGA Seattle's Hive Conference, where I first met both of you. So I want to thank you for taking the time to meet with me in the very beginning when I was just fishing for ideas and, and starting my research. So you, you gave me a lot of insight that has now come full circle and has really helped lead to and launch this podcast. So thank you. Um, and I, I can't tell you how much I really do appreciate that. So. But yeah, the, yeah, excited to be involved. That's really that's really cool that we were able to, to sort of be involved from the beginning, and this is just a wonderful opportunity to sort of kind of chime in again and, and talk to you a little bit more about where you're at. Yeah, and actually get it out on writing. So the well, yes, in writing, in the end, these things are transcribed. So, but the the first question I'd like to ask you pertains to both of your personal bios and substantials. Um, nowhere did I read the words website or website design. I don't think I read the term interactive design either. 
Instead, you strategically used the word product design, not web or interactive design, or even digital design. Can you explain the reasoning for this distinction? Yes, absolutely. You know, one of the things that is really important to, to both Zach and myself and, and Substantial is when we work kind of in the digital space is focusing on delivering a lot of value to a, a company's business. So when people come to us, you know, what differentiates us from like website or kind of marketing is, is the work that we do fundamentally drives our customer's business. It is actually uh, a key element of the business itself. In that sense, we, we resonate more so with kind of the notion of product. You know, the design that we do and the development that we do uh, might tactically look like a UI, or we might have iconography, and, and we definitely have front-end development to do things uh, uh, from a web standpoint, but the way that we think about it is much different. We're thinking about how does this not only affect the users, but how, is, how do we set this thing up to actually work and function as the business, as part of the business, so we often consult with the service design aspect about how the businesses operate. You know, we look at uh, uh, more than more than just the the end artifact that we create. So, actually, I I like that that idea about that end. That you're more than just the end artifact. Um, so that that actually kind of leads. That's you know, this is I'm going to jump ahead in my notes to a question that I I wanted to ask um, later, but I'm going to ask now. Um, so I like to think when I assign, when in general, when design educators, they assign a project, they're assigning, in fact, an artifact. We're assigning a poster, we're assigning a website, we're assigning a logo. And I think that kind of takes away from the discovery phase where the students actually learn about the root of the problem that the client faces and that and that's where they determine the proper solution themselves which may not be a poster which may not be a website and which may not be a logo um and this like you know this is how they can better articulate and defend their their um their solutions so how do you how is that as a process a working process at substantial, how do you facilitate that? Well, I think that, so. You know, if you're talking about it sounds like the distinction or the sort of the, I guess the tension, if you will, between sort of assigning, giving students the assignment to sort of create something that's sort of predetermined, and then they're going to yes. be on sort of the output and the value of of that, yeah. versus trying to teach somebody how to sort of understand what asset needs to be created in the first place. Yeah, and that, that's that sounded like to me what you do at substantial is that's why you like that term product instead of just you know a specific artifact right and i think that you know what substantial really wants to be able to do with our customers is get involved at a strategic level to really understand kind of what ryan was saying what's the business need and so in terms of you know how do we go about doing that I think, you know, how do we go about understanding the problem versus um, sort of determining what assets are going to be created or what, or what digital, you know, applications are going to be developed? Um, I think it comes down to, um, it, I mean, I'll, I'll toss some design thinking in there, right? So really kind of going in with an empathetic mindset to understand what, who, what are, the, who are the stakeholders? What are they trying to accomplish? Um, 
and, and really try to understand where they're coming from. So there's just a lot about understanding and really trying to put people into a space where we're, we're trying very hard not to respond to specific feature requests or, you know, this application must have this many tabs. I mean, those are usually red flags for us because um, it, it's sort of robbing the opportunity to really dig in and sort of understand and bring what we think is our value to the process. Um, and then, you know, from there, we really want to be talking with users. We, you know, almost from day one, we're insisting on access to users, to partners, um, so that we can get a sense of what they're after as well. If they already have an existing user base, can we meet with them? Can we do some user testing with them? If they've done any user testing, can we get their results? And you know, what's I think unique about Substantial, at least in terms of what we see in, uh, in the market, is that that's not, just a, that's not just a function of design. That's not just a function of strategy. It's not just a function of development. It's sort of the whole company and the whole team that's going into working with a client has to bring that same sort of empathetic mindset to really to, to have those insights and to uncover what we're actually trying to solve. So as that relates to kind of the designer and design education, the best analogy that I can come up with uh, right now is, is the notion of kind of like theoretical physics versus applied physics. It's You have to have an understanding of, of how things operate together and, and, and you have to do exploration to figure that out. And you need that in order to figure out what's the best way to actually then create something to make use of that. So how that relates to designers today and what we look for uh, in designers at Substantial and, and from an education standpoint is the critical thinking aspect. So. The first piece is, is, is ensuring that whatever artifact you create, you should know why you're creating that. What intent are you trying to, you know, what are you trying to do with that? So if it is a logo, you know, why a logo? And, and what application is that logo going to be used in? What are we hoping to drive? Who is going to be viewing it? How are they going to be viewing it? Like really thinking through all of those constraints, and, and that's where the design thinking kind of piece comes in, is being able to synthesize that. That critical thinking, problem-solving aspect is the most important thing that I look for in a designer. Because the tactical execution of those things, albeit important, you need to know good principles of design. But in this, in this digital world, the medium is constantly changing. So you're going to have to constantly learn new tools and new ways to execute to bring those things to life. For instance, let's take a look at animated graphs as, as an example of something that we might employ in a digital product. Um, we, the, the concept of that can be represented in, in uh, an application like Photoshop or Sketch or Illustrator. But when you get it into the real world, the, the best way to develop that and to make that really sing from a production standpoint, which gets to the actual artifact, is to do it in code. So you can get those animations, you can work with the timing, you're in the actual medium. So by overemphasizing the development of the artifact in and of itself, at the detriment of the critical thinking piece, you're just, you're losing so much. So I'm basically putting my students at a disadvantage from the very beginning then, portfolio-wise, when I assign them, you design a logo, because then you during your hiring process, you're going to ask them, well, you would really like to hear why that student designed the logo. And the student's going to say, well, it was, a, it was assigned to me. It was, I was told to design it. So is that, is that a correct kind of assumption there on my part? I don't know that I would describe it as a disadvantage, because I think one of the things I heard Ryan say is that the design principles and fundamentals are necessary. Okay. That 
having the, the skill set to create the artifact is, is a requirement. But that the next level away from that is going to be sort of like the deeper meaning or understanding about why it is that you're creating those things in the first place. Um, you know, when you're learning how to paint, you know, you're learning about mixing colors, you're learning about, you know, the difference between oil and acrylics, you're learning how to stretch a canvas. There's all this sort of like technical things that have to be understood. Um, you're working on gradients and shading. Um, but then at a certain point, your art has a meaning. It has a purpose that's beyond, you know, whether or not you can draw the picture. And I think another, you know, kind of where, the way that I sort of think about this myself is that like, if you look at something like design thinking as a process, Right, a process that's meant to be followed sort of in sequence. I think you're missing, you're, you're often missing kind of the real sort of, the real power of it, which is a shift from, I am going to do these things in this time frame or in this you know, context to, my intention is to understand these things in this context. And so for me, something like design thinking is really more about a series of intentions as opposed to a series of steps. And, and it, I think that you can kind of apply that back to, um, you know, the technical craft, which is like at, at the beginning, yes, how do you go about creating a logo? What's the craft and the skills that you need to have to deliver that? But then later, what's the intention of the logo, right? And, and having a really, like, that's where you see, I think, like, the best, the best design products are ones that have the story and meaning behind the, the elements of them that everyone can be sort of passionate or enthusiastic about. All right. Um, I regret not getting a, a, a comment made um, by Jason Ziak. I think you guys know him. He used to be in Happy Cog in Austin. Um, during the previous episode of Design EDU Today, into the recording, but paraphrasing, he said things like posters in student portfolios don't give him much indication of a student's future success as an employee at a digital agency. He basically kind of said, um, when you're hiring a designer, so when you're hiring a designer for substantial, um, what are the contents of the ideal student portfolio that gives you insight to that, not only their you know, design proficiency aesthetically, but also design thinking in that problem solving? What kind of portfolio displays that to you? Right, so so this is what this is how I generally balance the two. I mean, I in a general statement, I, you know, I tend to agree it is very difficult um, to look at one poster alone, or you know, or even a series of posters to to understand you know how well someone would be able to uh, operate in the digital sense. Uh, but I don't discount that altogether because as, as you know we we're kind of alluding to before in the logo statement, the craft is important, and if I can see a good understanding of, of hierarchy and design and intent. Uh, from the work uh, that was created, uh, you know, I, I can glean certain things. However, it's really important to to talk about those things. So, like in, in the portfolio, you know, the, the way a, a student can best um, best get my attention from a digital sense is to just talk about it. Tell me why those decisions were made. You know, why um, why the type treatment was the way it was. What they were trying to do with it. Who you know, again, to those earlier statements about. Yeah, the, the, the critical thinking and the problem-solving aspect of that. But then how that relates to digital is I start to turn the corner and I start to see, like, are they thinking about, you know, visual hierarchy? Can they 
tell me where they're trying to draw the user's eye and why they're trying to draw that, their eye to that particular element. Do they understand the notion of a grid? Do they understand you know, good principles of, of typography? And if they, if they can talk through those things and they can understand the, those concepts, there's enough there for me to work with. Okay. Uh, and and uh, uh, so, but it takes a lot to get that out. I mean, we our hiring process here, not to jump the gun a little bit, um, is quite intense. You know, we do a full day to day and a half uh, interview process where you know we do a, a very rigorous portfolio review, uh, and then we break things out into actual working sessions where we try to get this information out. We put people on the spot. We get them on the whiteboard. We really want to see how how they're going to how they're going to react and. and uh, and, and be able to kind of come up with these ideas and think through these concepts uh, or apply something from their portfolio to a, a, a digital, uh, digital product uh, in that setting. And that's kind of how we, how we uh, end up having to assess that. And I'll say the unfortunate thing about portfolios right now is, is I don't just have to do that with, uh, with designers coming out of school. I mean, there, there are people in the, that have been in the field for years that we still have to do that because they're, they're not showing enough of their work. Uh, in 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 the portfolio for us to really understand if they're going to be successful or not. Yeah, if I could add to that too, this is Zach again. I, I am. I think that one of the things that's um, challenging in any interview process, whether it's designers or developers or really any anybody, is it's around the, the portfolio is very much about the individual. It's about their work and their thinking, and that's that's critical, and it needs to be represented. But I think a thing that we're also looking for in our own hiring process is around collaboration. How do you work in a team? How do you share ideas? How do you how do you share your ideas and help have your teammates move them forward? How do you take ideas from them and help move them forward? Because at the end of the day, you know, at Substantial, we're trying to be a very collaborative, um, cross-disciplinary, co-located project team. So you're always working with somebody else and. You know, there has to be ideas going back and forth. And that's something that you're not really going to necessarily get from looking at a poster in a portfolio. Um, but being able to speak to those kinds of things in a portfolio, I think, you know, I'd, I'd like to see ways of finding designers, helping designers find ways to represent their ability to operate in that context as opposed to being the lone student or the lone sort of creative trying to um, demonstrate a particular technical skill. I, I love that we're on the same wavelength because, A, I'm going to jump. Um, we just Here's the next two questions. One of them was, since design has looped back into being a team sport rather than the solo rock star model, how do you gauge if a new hire is going to work well in a team? So do you want to expound on that one a little bit? Because you alluded yeah, so to it. I have that, absolutely. I mean, and, and as Zach can point out, that is a, that is a critical a critical piece. Um, you know, one of the things that you had mentioned in, in my bio and that also speak, you know, spoke to you with kind of Zach's background is we really do, and, and not to hit the buzzwords here, but we really do try to take the best of design thinking and the best of agile software development. So there's no, there's, the, there's a notion, you know, we're bringing in those principles from both of those pieces. And at, at the heart of that is being able to iterate rapidly and being able to collaborate and, and work with people from different perspectives, prioritizing different needs, uh, and, and coming at the problem from from a from a different point of view, and that can be very difficult because um, as designers we tend to think broad. We think broad and move narrow, and not to overgeneralize, but uh, at times uh, development and engineering can think uh, more focused and then move out to be more broad. And we need to bridge the gap between that. And and you're constantly moving between those states. So uh, just. 
again, it's a challenge. So what we do from an interview process is we do have those working sessions. Um, when we're interviewing a designer and when they go through these sessions, there's a designer and a developer in every, uh, in every session. And those interviews are being run by both of them. So they'll be, the designer will be asked questions and be challenged um, from development and engineering just as much as they will be from design. And not only does that uh, apply to our design hiring, but it also applies to our engineering hiring as well. Uh, and and we, we actually just, we field test on the spot. We have collaboration sessions where we'll, we'll pose a few problems and, and uh, we'll have a 45-minute session to, to work with engineering on trying to identify a solution. Uh, in the portfolio review, we'll ask questions about uh, development or how someone might uh, how, how someone might approach this or how they would work with uh, a different constraint. We'll throw those curveballs in there uh, to really see how people, how people react. Uh, one of the interesting things that I've noticed, uh, which was a surprise for me in this whole process, was designers that tend to be more introverted than <laughs> developers. And that, uh, the funny thing about that is, is I think the perception is, is the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, one other thing to sort of toss in there too, just on the specifics of collaboration, I just want to make it clear that in those sort of collaborative interview sessions, we're not expecting the designers necessarily to understand the technical pieces of the implementation, nor are we expecting the developers to understand the design, you know. It's really, about, it's what, honestly what we're often looking for is what are the questions that they ask? Um, where are they showing their willingness to collaborate um, as opposed to trying to sort of insist on something being a certain way. Um, you know, not ever, no, nobody knows all of the pieces, and so we want to sort of, you know, in a collaborative environment, it's really about what questions are you asking and how are you leveraging the skills of your team members and, and finding ways to trust them. Admittedly, that's a very hard thing to model in an interview. Um, it's always going to be somewhat contrived, but really it's, it's an inquisitiveness and it's a curiosity around sort of what are the skills of the various people in the room, what are they bringing to the table, and how are we collectively going to solve this problem in front of us? Um, again, you, we've kind of like leaped into some other questions um, that I had. So I'll back into this one. It, it was So when you're putting these teams together, these teams can consist of a developer, a content strategist, an information architect, um, an engineer, as you said. So how much knowledge and training does the entry-level designer need to have about these other complementary disciplines that they will have to collaborate with to work successfully? I mean, what gives, I guess, what gives them the advantage? How much or how, you know, how much... Does that make sense? I, I, I think I'm following you. It's, yeah. it's, um, it, it's also not an easy problem for us to solve. Um, substantial is a, I will say, it's a difficult environment for, for uh, designers entering the field um, because we do things uh, very differently. It re does require a lot of background skill and, and experience in, in, uh, in developing for digital space. Um, so. We understand though that that's not scalable, and you know education and training is a huge part of, of our culture, and the way that we the way that we do that is by pairing. So you, you may have heard of a concept of, of paired programming. Well, we try to do that with design as well. So what we do is 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 on a particular project, 
we will identify what are the what are the core skills needed to ultimately deliver a successful experience for the clients and for their users. And then we'll look at who are the appropriate people and, and try to make a good pairing across design development and then the subsequent skills uh, therein. So as that trickles down into the specifics of the design team and a potential uh, uh, new designer, you know, come just entering the field for the first time, you know, we, we look for someone who has depth in a specific area. So uh, if it's, uh, for example, in creating UI, you know, someone who has an incredible attention to detail, uh, creating, you know, SVGs, uh, is is very useful for us because we, we need to make sure that those things are, are accurate and they're as efficient as possible. And so what we would do is, is we would have a, a younger designer or kind of a new designer into the field uh, potentially working in that space and paired with someone from a, a more user experience design background. So they're gaining skills in other areas. Uh, and we're trying to cross-pollinate those skills as, as much as possible. And again, you know, as we said from a personality standpoint, we do look for people who are eager to learn and who are a little bit self-motivated in, in that sense uh, and, and who, are, who are ready to kind of pick up those skills. So we do it with a lot of pairing um, and, and being really intentional about that. Uh, and then just to summarize, so what do we look for in, in, a, new, in a new designer is someone who does have that, that uh, passion and that skill in one particular area and then we kind of grow it. Uh, we don't break the design, I, I don't break the design team down into kind of here's your user experience designers, here are your graphic or visual designers, and here are your content strategists. We're all one pool of the same and we're all, everybody on the design team is equally responsible for every element of the design. And that pushes, that pushes our team to really understand the big picture. So at least cursory knowledge of these other disciplines would greatly benefit them just walking in, you know, they know it exists. Or a genuine enthusiasm and an interest. I mean, that's something that can be demonstrated even in an interview. It's like lack of understanding or expertise in an area is not necessarily a detriment if you can demonstrate like genuine enthusiasm for being kind of tossed into the fire, so to speak, um, and, and, and the opportunity to learn that. So it doesn't have to be you know, cursory knowledge, sure, that could be helpful, but really, even more than that, I'd say genuine enthusiasm and the attitude to sort of dive in and try. Do you, uh, this is a totally off the, you know, design uh, question, but do you think that enthusiasm is something that can grow and can be fostered, or if it's it's just something you have or you don't? Because uh, I struggle with this in the classroom. How do I get unenthused students enthused? Oh yeah, I, I don't know that I have a good answer to that. Okay. I guess I want to believe that it's something that can be taught. I mean, I, I think you have to, like, enthusiasm to sort of like put yourself in something has, I think, a lot to do with confidence. And where confidence comes from is sort of, okay. it's, it's pretty, it can come from many places. Um, I'm going to be more confident throwing myself into a technical challenge with a programming language that maybe I don't know, but because I have some confidence of having done it and learned things and applied it in the past, I can go into it more confidently and enthusiastically than if I was asked to, you know, if Ryan came to me and said, well, I need you to go in and do all the interaction design for this project, I think I'd be much less enthusiastic because I don't have the experience necessarily to succeed in the way that I could in other areas. So I have to imagine something around foundation and context. 
Yeah. Um, so. Well, I, I love that that comment about enthusiasm. I mean, not enthusiasm, but um, confidence, because I think you can inspire confidence. Um, and I think that is a inhibitor <laughs> to enthusiasm, because, you know, if, if we're not comfortable with something, we're not going to be not going to hit it with a full head of steam <laughs> regardless of who you are and i think that confidence is i think that confidence is something that we could as educators could easily spend more time on building you know student confidence in these things like html and css in javascript and and even in you know working with cmss i mean things that you know they're not going to have to do on a regular basis but they're experiencing in them having experience with those things would greatly help them and I think we could build their confidence in them yeah I mean easily. one thing I tell pretty much everybody who comes here asks me about you know I hear questions sometimes like what do I need to be successful at substantial yeah. and pretty much universally what I say is you have to have sort of an enthusiasm and an aptitude to learn quickly and apply that learning confidently pretty much verbatim that's a line that I use a couple times a week <laughs> so um, you know like getting people in the academic environment to be enthusiastic about what they're learning and then try things quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, I think another thing that we get a lot of, and I think to a certain extent this happens in schools, that you're, you're getting graded on the, the output of the assignment and that yeah. has to do with the, the, the finished product. And so there's some notion of I need to get it to that point that it's done. What we're looking for often is like, don't try to get it done. Try to get it moved forward. And so perhaps there's a way that we can incorporate into the, you know, into the training that sort of mindset or attitude about taking incremental steps forward and understanding at each step, what have I learned and what can I do next and what needs to change and am I moving in the right direction um, and having that be a lot less about ego you know, when it's not the right answer and a lot more to do with, oh, well, I'm glad I learned that quickly. Let's do something different. I'm glad Zach brought that up. That is a critical principle, uh, absolutely critical, is, is being able to, to work through that and recover from, uh, recover from those learnings and, and, and not viewing mistakes as necessarily failures, but being able to build off that and, and as he said, really apply those learnings. You know, if we went down the wrong path, that, that's no problem. Let's, let's quickly figure out what, our next, what the next path is. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I have to thank you guys for this particularly. Um, with, it, with, I'm going to, what you just mentioned, I'm going to describe as kind of the, that's my understanding of the agile design, you know, the agile process. And so I've kind of incorporated that since meeting you guys. And actually our talk is where I, I fully wrap my head around this idea of that when I assign a, when I assign a project, if it's a web, website and, you know, they have to code it, I, I try to beat them into this idea that this is only phase one. This is not the finished product. Instead, this is, you get to this stage quickly and then you iterate, add to, refine after you get this initial phase going. And instead of, you know, focusing on the aesthetics of it, but just how quickly did you get to a minimal viable product, I guess. And I, I, I like that idea because I think designers are really bad at I, like personally when I'm working I was working on the website for this podcast I, my first instinct was to to design every single aspect of 
how it looked, how are they, how are the transcripts going to look? What are the, you know, the individual pages going to look like? What are the download buttons going to look like? What are, what, you know, what do I add once I have the transcripts and all this other stuff, which I didn't even have yet. So I said, no, what do I have? I have a MP3 and that's it. (laughs) I'll design, (laughs) I'll design that first. Okay. Now I have a transcript. Now I'll add that. Oh, now I have no, okay. Now I go back and I, I add that. And I think, um, that kind of iterative agile process is something that we need to design education really needs to kind of, you know, emphasize instead of like this finished prod product idea. Yeah. I think that's really great to hear that you're sort of to have taken that back to the classroom and are experimenting with ways of incorporating into the learning process. I do want to toss one thing in there from the technical side of things mm-hmm. that I think that developers also have a role in trying to empathize oh, yeah. more with their designer colleagues and in the sense that and here here's something that I came to realize a few years ago which is that like everybody reacts to design whether or not they know anything about the design process or the value or the quality of it right I see it and I emotionally I have an emotional reaction and that's something that's a that's a burden that designers have that developers don't and so I just want to be really clear that we're not certainly asking designers to become to work like developers, nor are we asking developers to work like designers. It's something about understanding the value of each other. What is it that you what is the meaning what of the work that you're doing? What do you need to have to feel good about what you're doing? Um, and it's different. And so I think that there I just want to make really clear that like developers have a role in understanding how to do iterative product development that's going to be of a quality that is necessary for their design colleagues to feel as though the product's getting moved forward. Um, you know what? I, I just noticed we're, we're getting close on time, but before I, I, I let you guys go, do, is, that an actual, is that an actual problem in the industry where the, the, this um, designers and developers um, not working together from stage one to you know make sure design considerations are considered in the engineering phase and then so they're not phases but they're you know symbiotic relationships is that really is that big of an issue you know it can be okay yeah, every organization is different and i and i don't want to to speak to uh for everybody but what i will say is is Workflow is incredibly important. You know, it, it is really challenging to do to do this well. To be able to blend these these principles, um, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, broad level thinking to you know to more specific uh, feature level thinking is is both of those both of those are required. And, and you know, the different stages of a product of, in a product's life, you know, require different approaches and. Uh, it, it's it's very important to, to really understand these those those elements and be able to have a conversation about when uh, and where it, it's best to kind of apply those the tools and tactics uh, to kind of uh, bring this stuff to life and, and I think that you know from what we have found that it can be very difficult because everyone feels the pressure of delivery and there's always a lot of work to get done and never enough time to do it. Like that's just kind of the nature, especially from a client service, from a client service perspective, that's the nature of the beast. You know, things move really fast. Um, and so everyone feels that pressure and, and you know, kind of deals with that pressure in, in different ways. And, and there's always that knee-jerk reaction to kind of go back to what I know. Let me just go back and finish this thing and hand it off and then it'll, I'll feel comfortable and good. Or let me just 
develop, let me just create and, and, and knock this bit of code out because I can, I can consider it done. And I think that's more, that has more to do with human behavior than, than anything else. Um, and I think it's just important to kind of really watch that and just make sure that you work as a team as much as possible and you communicate, you communicate your concerns uh, and have an open discussion about, about them uh, is the best way to combat that. You know, I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for design education is to recreate that that team because departments um, and um, degree programs are so siloed that it would be it would take a monumental undertaking to to get a a team of designers working with a team of um, developers from the from the IT department and you know most designs usually in the architecture and art department. And then the writing that, you know, that's over in another department. Um, that's something that I think is going to be the once design education figures out a way to like sustainably form these teams um, that you'll be getting a better product from us <laughs> in the yeah, end. <laughs> one thing that might sort of help in that uh, in that regard, though, might just be encouraging students to do this on their own. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, and I think that to a certain extent they already are, but just you know that invitation on all of those different silos to like reach out and maybe even have some way of helping facilitate those relationships, such that it's not really tied to initially to the program, but is certainly like the opportunity is presented and encouraged, so that you know the, the people in the CS program get to work with some designers and they make an amazing iPhone app. It's becoming easier to do that um, with the technology, you know. If it's not going to be in the same class together, at least make time and space or facilitate those relationships. And I, I would leave it with one phrase. I'd say, it all matters. It yeah. all matters. For a product to, to be useful and, and of quality, everything has to work in concert. You know, time and time again, you hear examples of someone changing one word on one button and completely <laughs> changing the revenue stream of, of a company. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, <laughs> It's very easy to overlook that and say, "Well, I'm just writing. I'm just writing some, some. You know, I'm just saying, click now, uh, and and uh, or the wrong color or the way that it functions. Everything matters. It's all important, and it should all be looked at and balanced appropriately." Well, you know, on on that note, um, Zach and Ryan, um, before I let you go, is there anything you are personally working on or substantial is working on? that you would like to share or something you guys want to promote personally? You know, I, I, absolutely. You know, Substantial is, is, a, is a great company. You know, we have a great team of designers and developers, and we're constantly looking for great partnerships or opportunities to work with new companies or new organizations who want to, you know, who want to bring a new product to life, you know, from, from an education setting to from healthcare to more commercial, uh, more commercial needs. You know, we... We're always looking to, to talk to people and, and uh, find any opportunity we can to, to work with uh, exciting and, and uh, uh, engaging folks. And you are very approachable, too. So just let everybody <laughs> know that. That was really amazing. All right. So um, that's all we have time for today on Episode 8 of Design EDU Today. I want to thank today's guests. Zachary Smith and Ryan Harrison of Substantial for being so generous with their time again. Um, I want to thank the audience for listening and the Design EDU Today web hosting sponsor, DigitalOcean, for making the hosting and the distribution of these podcasts possible.
I want to thank the AIGA and the AIGA Design Educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. Finally, I want to thank my newest sponsor, Fastly, for providing DesignEDU today use of their content delivery network to help speed the distribution of the podcast. If you want to discover more about DesignEDU today um, and read the session notes and transcripts, visit us on the web at designedu.today. You can follow us on Twitter at DesignEDU today or subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes store. Thank you for listening to DesignEDU today.